Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us today. My wife, Kristen, and I have four kids, and we had them pretty close together. So what began not long ago is just going to continue for the next few years, and that is it's time to teach the kids to drive. So you know how to pray for me. So between Kristen and me, this is my responsibility to help bring them up to speed, no pun intended, uh, with learning how to drive. And so like probably many of you have, we just find a big empty parking lot or some remote place and get them in the driver's seat, teach them the essentials, right? Buckle up and how to use all the buttons and, and the levers and the gears and the pedals. And we practice parking and signaling and braking and accelerating and driving in reverse and using your mirrors and all those special things that you get to do when you drive. And in all of this process, I've identified a couple different roadblocks that keep young people or really anyone from becoming a good, safe, licensed driver. The first one would be what I would call information. It's information. It's just simply the knowledge you need to do what you need to do as you're driving a vehicle. You need to know how things work. You need to know that in your uh, dash panel, your instrument panel, there are things there that you need to know and pay attention to. Like, what does it mean when the light line lights up by the little E? Um, fill it up, right? Or uh, what, what is this, this uh, other one that has random numbers and it goes up and down all the time? It's your RPMs, right? Just learning all that stuff is very, very important. And so part of what we do in the car is just go over the information. Just try to get familiar with the vehicle. Beyond that, there's road signs. There's how to maneuver in bad weather. There's all kinds of things to know. And you know that you have run into people um, who didn't have that information, right? You know who these people are. It's the type of people that we pray for when we're preparing to leave on a trip. We get all the kids in the car, and I will pray right out loud just, just like this. God, would you please keep the idiots off the road and away from me, and would you help me not to be one, right? I, I just, let's just get there. And so information, it's very, very important. You need information. That's a, that's a roadblock keeping you from becoming a good, safe, licensed driver. Another roadblock that I've identified in teaching our kids how to drive, it would be what I would call hesitation. Hesitation. Hesitation is different because you can have all the information, but if you struggle with hesitation, you will struggle to be a good driver. It's that moment where your mind is going, thank you so much, your mind is going in a thousand different directions, but your car just needs to go in one, just one. And so you've got the accelerator, you got the brake, you got these levers here, you got these buttons, and then you're trying to turn, but it's the wipers, and you just, you're trying to get it going. And though you can know everything, there's that lack of familiarity that causes you to hesitate. When I was learning to drive, I've talked to some of you before about my dad's 1983 Ford Ranger. It was a four-speed manual, so it didn't have two pedals, it had three. And though that's only the addition of one thing, the possibilities are exponential with what you can do with that pedal. And I remember, though growing up in Indiana, which is relatively flat, I was with my brother, who's older than me. He was licensed, but I'm, I just got my license, and I'm driving this truck. We uh, pull to a stoplight. There's like three cars in front of me and several behind me. And though Indiana's flat, I was on an incline. And you know when you're with a group of people, and you can like sense tension in the room or, or anticipation, 
that moment kind of happened, and I sensed it from my brother because I think he had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen when that light turned green. And I, and I helped him out. It happened. The three cars in front of me took off, and I did not time the clutch and the gas properly, and so I jerked that truck, and so I didn't know what to do, and I knew what everything was, but I was hesitating. I didn't know what to do, and I slowly started to roll back, and you know the hitch ball is sticking out there. I just knew I was going to plug the bumper of the car behind me, and my brother did too because he is of no help. He's about passed out laughing, <laughs> sitting on the passenger side of this bench. It's a disaster. I won't tell you what happened, but we eventually made it home. Hesitation. Hesitation is a real problem when you're learning to drive. And here we are as a church in this vision series talking about why we exist, who we are, what we're all about. And last week we were introduced to the fact that God wants to change people's lives through Jesus Christ. That's it. And because of that, if you are here or watching online and you are a follower of Jesus, You've been sent. If you're wondering, what do I do now that I, I've come to the place where I've recognized that I'm a sinner and I, I trusted that Jesus paid the price for my sin and so I've received God's forgiveness and, and now he's in charge of my life, what do I do? Your job is to help other people discover the very same thing you did. We've all been sent. God has done something remarkable in our lives and in our church and we want people to understand that. We want people to know that. So if you're wondering what to do, that's what you do. And if you don't know how to get started, we want to help you with that. And so we're, we're just following God. And in, in, in this, not only as individuals, but as a, as a church, it means some things for us. And sometimes we're not sure what to do, but at times in faith, we just take the next step. And so I am happy to report that last week our church voted affirmatively to pursue financing for a new building for our Tunkhannock campus. So we are celebrating that. Uh, yes, that's really, really good for them. We can clap for that. So we would ask for your prayers as we try to zero in on a location, uh, and, and we just need wisdom to do that. So thank you for your prayers, thoughts, suggestions, and all of that. When God changes people's lives, it's not just they now believe something different. I, today we're going to talk about a couple things here, and I really want us to get beyond just believing like, okay, yep, I did that. I believe the same as you. Or like baptism, oh, I did that, so I think I'm okay. We're not talking about things you do, items you check off a list. We think that when Jesus changes someone's life, it's a fundamental change. Not just in what they believe, but in their identity. A new quality of life. It means something. And it means that over time, God is helping you to look, act, think, and be motivated and talk just like Jesus. But we're not there yet. All of us have areas of, of our lives where we are not as much like Jesus as we ought to be. And so we just want to, as we identify those areas, give them over to God. And because this is a process, it means that everyone has a next step. Everyone has a step to take. Everyone has an area where they are not living as God would have them live. And because of that, honestly, they're not experiencing all the blessing and beauty that a relationship with God is meant to provide. And these next steps could be a million different things. Maybe for you, it's overcoming a particularly addictive sin. Maybe for you, you need to pursue someone because you've wronged them and you need to seek forgiveness. Maybe you're the person who needs to forgive. Maybe your work ethic needs some work. 
Um, maybe you need to be more gentle and more kind to your family or people that you're around all the time. There could be a million different next steps. And though that's true this morning, I really just want to talk about one. One next step. And that is baptism. And I would tell you this. Baptism is a necessary first next step for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. It's a necessary first next step for anyone who's a follower of Jesus. That's because in the scriptures, it's a command for followers of Jesus. Not a suggestion, not a great idea. It's literally instructions from Jesus. How do we know this? Where do we get this truth? We, we find it among many places, right in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is what Jesus says to his followers as he's preparing to return to heaven to be with with God the Father. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's clear that this is important to Jesus, and Jesus is telling everyone who's a follower of him what they're to be doing. And the command is to make disciples in three ways. As you're going... As you're living your life, you are to be making followers of Jesus, telling people about Jesus. You are to be baptizing people, and you are to be teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And so this is a command for his followers. These are not pastor-only activities that we're talking about here. This is what Jesus is telling his people. So maybe you could say that this is what it looks like to go all in for Jesus. As you're going, you're making disciples. You're baptizing as you're making disciples. You're teaching people as you're making disciples. Yet, it's true that not everyone would be all in for Jesus. And so I ask all of us this morning, what is holding you back from going all in for Jesus? What is holding you back? What do I, I want to do is identify a couple roadblocks that prevent people from going all in for Jesus. And I don't need to really introduce them, just tell you that we already talked about them information and hesitation. Information is a roadblock keeping people from going all in for Jesus, and so is hesitation. Every year, our church uh, takes a survey. In November, we ask every person in the room or online 12 years of age and older to take this survey. We'll be doing it again this November. It's a few questions. It takes no more than three minutes to, uh, to complete. One thing that we have learned from those surveys is we've gotten some information that helps me to be able to confidently say in a room like this or online, 25% of the people in this room, 12 years of age and older, have not followed through in baptism. So that brings up the need to talk about it, not as an attack on you if you've not been baptized, really as an invitation, as an invitation into God's best for you. And so that's what I want to talk about. But before I do that, I want to talk to the 75% who have identified that they have followed through with baptism. Uh, we, we get to ask people when they're baptized, who's someone who has had a significant impact in your life, who has helped you to follow Jesus better? And they identify someone. If you're the 75% who's been baptized, wouldn't it be awesome for the person to say, it was them, it was you. You helped me follow Jesus better. So this message, though it is on baptism, it's really about making disciples. And so whether it's the 25% who have yet to be baptized 
or the 75% who would say they already have been, there is something for you here. Little side note, do you know who the most common people are who end up doing the baptizing? It's children's ministry workers and student ministry workers, working with young people who are just hungry to figure out what life is all about. They're moldable, they're impressionable, they want to know, and we have awesome people at this church who just step in right at that moment and help them understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I would say another level of people who get to do this pretty often are small group leaders. People in small groups who are just helping someone else take their next step in following Jesus. But in all this, there are, we've identified two common reasons that people would not be baptized, and I want to walk through them with you. Here's the first one. I don't understand what baptism is and who it's for. This would be our information problem. This is just simply, I don't know what I need to know, so please, would you fill me in? And if information is your roadblock, hopefully this is helpful to you. Um, I don't specialize in every area uh, of knowledge. Math is one that I do not specialize in, so I won't talk to you about that. But today, I do get to talk about a great interest of mine, and that is grammar. Grammar. I, I like, I'm a nerd. I like English and grammar, okay? So let's do a little word study here. The word baptize means to submerge. That is its definition. It's an interesting word in that it's not an English word. It's in your Bible, in your English Bible, baptize. But this word... Uh, is a transliteration, meaning letter for letter from the original language into English, all right? So it, it means submerge, but when the Bible was copied over, for some reason, they just took the letters and put them in an order, and we get, the word is baptizo, all right? And it's, it's used in history a lot. In fact, um, when, in ancient times, when they were going to take a piece of cloth, and they were going to dye it a different color, they would take that cloth and baptize it, in the dye, it would go in one color and come out a brand new color. So you can just let your mind play with that a little bit as we're talking about this, but it really doesn't matter which branch or denomination or stripe of faith. Um, biblical scholars, whether Catholic, Episcopal, Methodist, Lutheran, it doesn't really matter. They all would agree that in the Bible, when the word baptize is used, it means to immerse or to submerge. So that is the true meaning of the word, if you actually read the passages that talk about baptism and insert the word pour or sprinkle, the passages will not make any sense. And so I don't want you to think that baptism is something that's only talked about one place in the Bible. We're going to be in quite a few scriptures this morning, so I'm going to sort of walk you through those. Here's one, Matthew 3.16. As, as, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. Jesus came up out of the water. If the water had been applied to him, there would be no need to come up out of it, just kind of brush it off, right, or dry it off. But he came up out of the water. Some of you in the room watching online might be very familiar with the Bible, and you're thinking of the passage in Acts chapter 8, where Philip, a follower of Jesus, is with an Ethiopian man, and he's reading a copy of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And uh, Philip tells him about Jesus. And so he says, I, what's holding me back from being baptized? And Philip said, water, right? So you can imagine they're in the desert. They probably have a canteen or a container of water. But what do they do? 
Luke tells us in Acts that they found some water, went down into the water, and came up out of the water. So again, this just makes sense. So since baptism means submerged, um, it, it doesn't really make sense to say, I was submerged by sprinkling, or I was submerged by pouring. It'd be like saying, I went flying by walking. Um, you can't do it. There's nothing wrong with walking. It's just not flying. Okay, so there's no hate here. It's just the meaning of the word. Nothing wrong with pouring or sprinkling of that action. It's just not baptism. So let me help summarize this for you. Um, baptism would be a physical ceremony symbolizing what happens at salvation. It's the dying of our old sinful nature, the burying of our old way of life, and rising again to a new way of living. But it's also a public statement that we make as to what Jesus has done in our lives and our desire to follow him with our lives. So really, baptism is a picture of what salvation involves. It's a living, walking illustration. And so at the end of first service, we had two uh, individuals here go through the waters of baptism. One happened to be my youngest daughter. Uh, that was really, really neat to be able to take her through that. But that's really what it is. So let's talk about what baptism is for because I think some people would say, I'm not sure I need to be baptized because I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to be baptized again? Let's catch up right here. Do I need to be baptized again if I was baptized as a baby? Let me just tell you, every time baptism is talked about, water baptism is talked about in the Bible, and it's over a dozen times, it takes place following belief in Jesus. It happens after that. Here are a few examples. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You can see the order. Next passage. But when they believed... Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. It happens over and over and over again. So you ask the question, well, what about babies being baptized? Following the pattern of the scriptures in the New Testament, can a baby believe in Jesus? Can a baby say, I believe that I'm a sinner and I trust that Jesus paid the price for my sin. Jesus is now the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. No, no, a baby can't. So whatever happened to the baby may not be wrong. It's just not the pattern of the New Testament. It is belief first then baptism. And there's actually an example of this in Acts chapter 19, verses 3, 4, and 5. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Talking to a group of people, and they said John's baptism. Now John went ahead of Jesus to help prepare people to meet Jesus. And when people identified with John's message and, and begin to repent, they were baptized. So this, that's this group of people right here. Um, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, Paul wasn't shaming them. He just was saying, whoa, information. Information is helpful. I don't think you guys had all the information. Now that you do, 
you know what your next step is, and your next step is to be baptized. So if information is one roadblock that we talked about, hesitation would be the other. And then this can be a tricky one because we just begin to play tricks on ourselves and our own minds. And, and here's how hesitation can look. I don't want to completely follow Jesus right now. I just don't want to completely follow him. And understand, we said going all in for Jesus would be making disciples as we're going, and baptizing and teaching. But leaving baptism out reflects a hesitation to completely follow Jesus. Again, Acts 2.41, let's go right back there. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. So not everyone does it that way, though. And here are three flavors, I think, of hesitation. Let me give you the first one. The first one is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Think of, think of what happens here. The, the baptism tank is not back there. It's not in the dark. It's not outside. It's up front. It's here. So you've got being in public. You might have to say something. So that's speaking in public. And then there's something in it, and it's called water. So like you got three big fears right there for many people. Water, public speaking, crowds. Like just not my thing. And that can be a big roadblock for people. Another one might be offending your parents. I just need to be frank with you. Sometimes the decision that you make to take your next step in following Jesus will be unpopular. It'll be unpopular with people who you thought had your back, who you thought were for you. This is just really tough. But I think there might be some among us watching online or here who were baptized as a baby. Your parents did that for you. Let me, let me help encourage you. I'm guessing that your parents had you baptized as a baby because they wanted you to follow Jesus. They wanted you to be connected in some way in following Jesus. And so if you follow through with believers' baptism, you are in a way completing what they began. It, their decision to have you baptized can now be your decision to follow Jesus and follow through in baptism. So if that's the case, we would love to encourage you that way. We would love to help you engage in conversation with you about all of that. I think a third flavor of fear would be looking like a beginner. This is tough because some of us may have been uh, followers of Jesus for a very long time, but have not yet been baptized. And it can be tricky. It can be, it, your mind plays tricks on you again, like, ah, it would be embarrassing. People would say, what's their problem? They waited so long. I was on staff at a church, and there was a woman on our staff who was over 60 years old. We preached the message on baptism, and she came and said, I need to be baptized, but I'm terrified that everyone's going to look down on me and, and think that I'm just some failure. We did all we could to encourage her, to help her. She followed through and was baptized. And let me tell you, the people in that room that day were raving fans. They were so encouraging. Why? Because it's never too late to begin obeying what God says. It's never too late. So we celebrate any step of surrender, any step of obedience. It's not a negative. Far from it. It is a positive thing. So if you're here saying, I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years. You're telling me to be baptized now? And I would say, why not now? Why wait? 
But I would tell you that not everyone takes the same steps at the same time in the same order in their life. And there's a lot of reasons for hesitating, but I want to show you 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy was a young pastor, and Paul was giving him some instructions for stuff he needed to do, and he encouraged Timothy with this, and I want to encourage you with this. No matter your fear, no matter your hesitation, no matter what it is, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that God gave you when you became a follower of Jesus can empower you with the courage to do the very thing that God has asked you to do. God does give us the power and the confidence to do the very things that he has called on us to do. So you can, you can do this. But then there are others who would say, I'm not afraid. I just, I, I have a sin I just don't want to give up. You see, I became a follower of Jesus a while ago, but since that time, a sin has become a part of my life that I'm just giving into all the time. Either because I feel helpless to stop or because I'm just enjoying it and I don't really want to give it up. And so I'm hesitating because that's just kind of the life I'm living. We talked about, we showed you Acts 2.41 two times. They accepted his message. That accepted, again, is not some mental checklist. Yep, I believe that too. No, they bought in. They clicked in. It made a difference in their lives. When James, one of the writers of the New Testament, writes, he says, you believe? You believe there is one God? Good. Even demons believe and shudder. Followers of Jesus and demons believe the same thing. The difference is not what they believe. The difference is what happens in their life as a result. Followers of Jesus will believe and then obey. They will begin to follow Jesus. Information alone is not the distinguishing factor. So if there is a sin in your life that you are unwilling to give up, I would say you should not be baptized. You should get some help. Let us help you overcome that thing that is keeping you from experiencing all that God has designed for you to experience by living in obedience to him. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about struggling with sin. We all struggle with sin. But the word struggle itself indicates there's an actual fight. I think sometimes we insert the word struggle when all we're really talking about is surrender. We're surrendering. Now, we're talking about struggle um, even the people who were baptized up here first service, they're not towers of virtue and pictures of the perfect life following Jesus. No, they are just taking their next step. God has revealed what they need to do, and they, in response, are doing it. And that's what we all need to do, no matter what the area is in our lives. But if you are not willing to renounce your sin and, and say, I'm all in for Jesus, then certainly you should be hesitating. But I would say don't wait until you somehow arrive or think you're better. Your posture towards the Lord needs to be that of surrender. Whatever he asks, you do. And that's different for all of us. We're all sinners, but as followers of Jesus, that's a past identity. We are now saints, followers of Jesus and empowered to live for him. A third reason for hesitation would be this. I don't believe. I don't believe. And if that's the case, then I agree with you. You should not be baptized yet. 
And if, if you're here brand new to Bridgewater, just checking it out, you're brand new to the things of God, the things of faith, I would just encourage you to lean in and listen to what we're all about. We are real people, but we believe in a real God. And we are really trying to follow him in obedience and do what he asks us to do. So to the 25% who are joining us today who have not yet been baptized, I would urge you to consider what your next step would be. And is it a step of faith to believe in Jesus and follow after him? Or is it to follow after him through the waters of baptism? The truth is, some will go all in for Jesus, but some won't. Maybe because of information, maybe because of hesitation. I wonder this morning, wherever you are, what's holding you back from going all in for Jesus? And, and to the 75% who have gone through the waters of baptism, I would ask you, what might be holding you back from making more and better disciples of Jesus? What is your next step and what are you going to do about it? Because the truth is, everyone has a next step. What's yours? Would you, would you pray with me? God, we're going to need your help because although, as Scripture says, your commands are life, the psalmist writes, your commands are life, um, I and those joining me here today are sometimes deceived into believing that there's life to be found outside of your commands, outside of your boundaries. And I ask that you would help us to not only believe that that is not true, but help us to have the courage to do what we ought to do when we discover what our next step might be. So I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would work in everyone's heart who is tuned in and leaning in, present here today, that you would help us to know what we ought to do. And when you reveal it to us, I pray you would give us the courage and confidence to follow through and then joy on the other side from having decided that we will do what you ask us to do. Thank you for loving us and for your great patience with us. Pray that as we sing to you, you would accept our praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.